You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is here tomorrow. But unfortunately, all those credit card bills from that jolly old time you had they're coming too and they're coming fast and i want to help you get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments and you can do it right now at savewithconrad.com how's this for starters your single biggest bill well that's your house payment and i'm going to let you pocket all that cash for both january and february you won't make another house payment until march and come march you're going to have a better mortgage you see i know what your next week looks like you're going to sit down with your new year's resolutions and let me go ahead and tell you what two of them are going to be get out of debt and save money. I can make both happen for you just like that at savewithconrad.com. Now you don't need perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s will qualify and you never need money out of your pocket to find out how much money you can save for free. This is no cost, no obligation. And if I can help you save some cash, I won't waste your time. It's also worth mentioning that we're licensed in more than 40 states. We can probably help your family save a boatload. We routinely help our listeners pay their house off faster. I want you to really ask yourself this. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? If you don't know the answer, you haven't done enough planning. What if you could pay your house off, not just before retirement, but before your kids go to college? I bet they wouldn't need student loans then, or they're at least less likely. Let's do a little long-term planning by getting rid of your single biggest debt, your mortgage. And oh, by the way, if you've got credit card debt, you know you're throwing your money away. The average interest rate right now is over 19%, and it's not tax deductible, the interest you pay on a credit card. Whereas the interest you pay on a mortgage is, and oh yeah, it's a fraction of that interest rate. So if you can get a cheaper rate with a greater tax deduction and skip your next two house payments, but most importantly, pay your house off faster, all with cheaper monthly payments. Why wouldn't you do that? Go to savewithconrad.com right now. You'll be glad you did. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn with one of the all-time greats, the Hall of Famer himself, the enforcer, double-A, the founder of the Four Horsemen, Mr. Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? And a Merry Christmas Eve to you, young fella. Can you believe it? Santa Claus is coming tonight. You know, this is my favorite time of the year. I just wish I had some little ones running around the house, but, uh, you know, my big ones act like little ones this time of year so it's just as good yeah i mean i think the stretch between thanksgiving and christmas is easily my favorite you know family time of the year and i uh i just get caught in the feels it's all about nostalgia those holidays are for me you think about grandma and growing up and man that's what our show is about it's about nostalgia and we're gonna get in our way back machines 30 years 
and talk about the uh, time you left the world wrestling federation or New York to go back down to world championship wrestling. But boy, things a lot look a lot different than when you left. Uh, we'll get into that. We should remind you that the format here on the show is every other week. You can pick Arn Anderson's brain. If you've got a question for him, just hit us on Twitter right now at the Arn show, and you'll see a, a post pinned near the top. Use the hashtag ask Arn anything. And you never know we could ask your question next week. So every other week you've got an opportunity. We've got lots of fun stuff planned for you in the new year, but next week we'll be back at you again with an ask Arn anything. So be sure to do that on Twitter right now. Uh, let's just start at the beginning, man. You know, you, uh, We've already sort of covered how you left Jim Crockett promotions and why you left to go work for Vince McMahon and the world wrestling federation. Well, that doesn't take very long. Uh, you, you have a one year run there and then decide, uh, maybe I've had enough of this. You've briefly touched on it before, but talk me through the process of making the decision that even though we like, you know, the idea of working with the WWF, maybe an execution, not the best fit for you. Yeah, we, we should probably go back and uh, start with uh, the conversation, the initial conversation we had sitting out by the pool with Vince. And uh, he informed us that uh, he definitely wanted us. He uh, made us feel really good about ourselves during that conversation. He had all the facts and figures in his head and you know, he said, you guys will bring credibility to my company, and that made us feel good, and he didn't have any wild ideas as far as costuming or any of that. So we felt very good about that. And uh, he said, guys, I don't have guaranteed contracts, but my word is good, and uh, I guarantee you, you guys will make more than you made with Crockett. And we didn't have anything else to go by, so that's basically what we had to go with and uh we came in and we got to wrestle all the all the top teams and everything was going good until we kind of checked the figures and at the fiscal year we were about 50 grand behind at about the eight minute about the eight excuse me eight month mark we're 50 grand what we had made with crockett behind so we asked for a meeting at TV. We went in and we reminded him of the conversation. We uh, also told him where we were financially at that point in the fiscal year. He got this look on his face like it was he wasn't aware of that. Well, maybe he wasn't. And uh, he said, uh, "Okay, guys, I remember the conversation, and give me uh, give me some time to sort through this, and we'll get together at the next set of TVs." Which was three weeks, as we've discussed, uh, later. So, you know, we went back to work and thinking everything was going to be made right. So let's talk about that. You know, it, it is a different era, you know, and I know some of our younger listeners are going to think, what, three weeks? But it's not like he could send you an email or send you a text or call you on your cell phone. You know, your method of communication was a lot different back then. And even if he mailed you a letter at your house, it's not like you were home to get it. So in a weird way, meeting you at TV was, was just par for course at the time. Was it not? Yeah. That's where you, that's where any beefs you had, you couldn't resolve them. You know, you didn't want to call the office and bug them up there. Um, 
that's just one of those things that, you know, if you start, if you were one of those guys that called the office, you were stooging or something of, of that magnitude. It wasn't that you were just calling about your business. It was just, there's a bit of a stigma that was tied to that. So I didn't feel comfortable about that. And if you wanted to get anything resolved, you had to wait. To, it was like common knowledge. Okay. At TV, get a meeting with Vince and Vince had a lot of meetings with guys at TV. So after he promises to sort of square up with you and figure out what's heads or tails, uh, and just assess where you've been in three weeks, you guys go make your loops and then you and Tully show up to TV and. Well, I'm, I walk in the door with a mile wide, you know, smile on my face thinking this guy's, you know, going to cut me a $50,000 check, get us up to where we need to be. Uh, we set up a meeting for the day. We go in. Vince is putting on his, uh, his uh, gym shoes. He's got on his sweats. He's getting ready to go out and go work out. Yeah, come on in, guys. I got time to talk to you right now. And um, so here's the way it went. He said, uh, you know, check the books and you're right about that. You know, if you guys will just, uh, if you guys will just hang with me, I'll, um, I'll make this right down the road and we'll, we'll get you where you need to be and everything. And uh, yada, da, 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 and da, 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 da. And that's where we came up with the way to make it right is to cut us a check today and get us up to where we need to be at least at the same pay scale we were on the, the year before with Crockett. And, uh, he got this look on his face and he says, well, guys, I can't, I can't write you each a $50,000 check today. I mean, that's, it's not the way I do business, but you have my word. Well, he had already went back on his word. So, we said, if you can't do that, then we'd like to put our notice in. Three months, which was a lot of time in those days. Nobody gave a three-month notice because they could just decimate you on television, just crucify you, any number of things. Um, and, man, he got a really, really crazy look on his face, like, so let me, let me back up a little bit. Would this have been a, a, after SummerSlam or before SummerSlam? Probably after, right? Yeah. It would have been about, um, we finished up or I finished up at, uh, let's see. Not, not Survivor too. series 89. Nine. Yeah. So back that out about three months. So, that would have been about the time that we we gave that notice. So not too terribly long after SummerSlam, because SummerSlam would have happened at the end of August. So September, October, November, you're probably early September, maybe. Yeah. And coming off of SummerSlam, we'd had a really good match with the Hearts, yeah. you know, the Heart Foundation. And, uh, you know, we beat those guys, which was a big feather in our cap. You right. know, they put us over. And, uh, I mean, we were rolling. It's not like you know, they were using us badly and we weren't producing or any of those things. It just mathematically was not adding up. Let me ask, I know we're getting deep in the weeds on this, but when it's all, it's often been said, and this could be bullshit, but we've heard from some other guys like a Scott Hall, for instance, he would say, Bret Hart didn't care how much money he made as long as he, as long as he was the champion. 
with the idea being that, yes, this is a business, but a lot of the guys really care about their, um, their status within the company. And that exists in the real business world too, where some people are more motivated by the title on their business card than the number on their tax return. Do you, did you consider that in between TVs, perhaps, because it sounds like the timeline would be, you would have met with Vince prior to SummerSlam and then the first time, and then you have the follow-up meeting and ask for your notice three weeks later after SummerSlam, did you guys think, well, Hey, he must be going to make us whole here. He's putting us over the heart foundation on pay-per-view. If he had no intention of squaring up with us, maybe he would beat us. And then if that doesn't happen, did you think in hindsight, Hey, maybe he just thought he'd fucking let us win on pay-per-view and we would sort of forget about the money. We feel like we're owed. Well, I think by that point in time, just looking at our past record, you know, and the little tests that he had thrown out, like the Tom McGee matches and things like that, that it wasn't about winning or losing for us. It was about making money. That's, you know, but the, the bottom line was if you were the champion, you were going to make more money. The tag champions, you know, on live events made more money than just a team they were building and it was in a different slot. So the two kind of went hand in hand. Yeah, no, I get it. So, you know, you, you realize, Hey, he's not going to square up with us. This is back more present day here. He's putting his gym shoes on and he says, I can't just write you guys a couple of $50,000 checks. Does Tully is Tully the one who says, well, we'd like to give our notice and, and we'll give you three months or what does that look like in that, in that moment? I think Tully was the one that's actual mouthed the words, which, you know, kind of put him in shock. And we had already talked about this, you know, even though going in, we had a positive attitude. He's going to make this right. You're right. The, the neon sign to me was we would have never beat the heart foundation at SummerSlam. Right. If, if he wasn't going to, you know, do right by us. So we went in there, you know, tippy toeing, thinking, well, okay. Today's going to be a good day, and, and it just kind of gut punched to both of us. But just like we told, you know, Dusty the night that we were leaving, we had our B plan, and we were going to stick with it. You know, if he's not going to make it right, we're going to put our notice in today. Um, and during this time, come to find out, after this meeting broke up, and we talked to a few people in the next day or next couple days, and um, everybody's money was down. We didn't know that. And there was no reason for it because business was good. You never knew. And we never found out just why during that particular time, everybody's money was down. But, uh, when we told him we want to put in our 90 day notice, he looked at us and went, Oh, okay, guys. Well, do me a favor. Um, Give me another three weeks. We didn't say that. He just said, give me till the next TVs to resolve this. I don't want to lose you guys. Okay, we'll do that. And uh, as we got up and started to walk out, he started pulling his tennis shoes off. And I just kind of glanced at him and he went, I can't go to the gym now. So at least he gave us. I think he had, it was general concern that he was going to lose us because him not going to gym was a big deal. Right. And uh, it was a huge deal because that was something he did every television in the early afternoon. So, 
you know, we at least knew that we had had some impact. And when we walked out of there, uh, you know, you know how it is. You tell one person, they tell a person, somebody else tells a person. All the brain busters put their, they put their notice in, you know, there was a little bit of a buzz around. Right. Um, well, you saw the line start to form outside of Vince's office of guys that were disgruntled come to find out that wanted to leave. Well, the contract that we had signed with Vince, which everyone had signed, which this is almost so ridiculous. It's nobody would believe it, but it was for 10 days of 150 a day. That's all he guaranteed you in a year's time. So $1,500 is the contract value. Correct. Okay. Wasn't worth the paper it was, it was written on, obviously, but you would have to get a lawyer and fight it, and you know how that goes. His pockets are deeper than your pockets and all that. So you were kind of stuck with it. Um, but when that line kind of formed, and I don't even remember who was in that line, but there were some disgruntled people that their money was down too. We heard that he was heard saying, you know, tell those guys I'm not talking to anybody else today or something like that, that these contracts are legitimate. You can't just break this. You're not just, you know, these guys aren't just going to break their contract. You know, it was something like that. Like, you know, I'm going to stop this bleeding right here. Right. And we kind of heard that secondhand. Uh, so that kind of put us in a situation where, okay, it's, it's either, uh, do us right or let us go. Three weeks later, have another meeting. We walk in and it's a different look on his face. Okay, guys, I've reviewed all the figures and da 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 da. And you're you're right about that. Um, we're gonna go ahead, go ahead and let you put you know turn your notice in, and we'll apply the last three weeks towards the ninety days. Wow. It, yeah, I mean, you know, we were, you know, at that point, because the money had not came up at all, I started to get excited again. It was like when I was, once I made the decision to leave, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions, that night, once I had made that decision and committed, I started to feel good about it because I had pl thought plenty about it. And with the travel schedule up there being what it was and being dog tired and fatigued and talking to a three-year-old that's crying on the phone, Daddy, when you're going to come home, you've been gone a long time. It was the right decision. So, um, let's give some can, context to that for a minute. You know, you had told me before here on the show that, you know, the, the travel schedule was just beyond compare you know, what you were used to with Jim Crockett promotions. And, you know, you had a wife and, and, and a young kid at home and you were missing a lot of critical stuff because, you know, maybe once upon a time, a lot of the towns you were working or drives and you were centrally located in Charlotte. Well, now there's no such thing. Uh, you're on an airplane every single day. First thing in the morning, first flight out of five or 6 AM. So the quality of life is way, way different. Your money's down and you're missing your family. You're getting pressure from every angle here. Are you not? I feel like the roof caved in. Add one more thing to that. If you can believe this now, just like it's hard to believe the $1,500 contract we signed. Right. 
somebody in their office came up with the bright idea that, uh, okay, another way to save money is we will fly these guys out to the first day of their loop, whether that be a 10-day loop, 12-day loop, 5-day loop, whatever it may be, but we'll make them buy their own plane ticket home. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What now? You have to buy your own air home? Shake your head, stick your finger in your ear and ring it out. Yes, you have to buy your own plane ticket home. So I'm going to fly you on this loop and may end up with you ending up in uh, Calgary, Canada. $700 for back then. Now, this is 88 or 89, whatever the year was, dollars. 700 bucks. We ended up one time during this period in Calgary. It cost us 700 bucks to get home. Well, God not, only, not only is that immoral, that could possibly even be illegal. Who knows? But it happened. It's a very real thing. So uh, what are you supposed to think? My God, you're talking about getting kicked in the ass. If there was a dis- question of if we made the right decision or not, <laughs> that ought to button it up for you. Help me understand. I mean, on some of these loops, you know, maybe it was a smaller loop, but if you were complaining that your money was down between your road expenses of, of hotels and eating on the road and things like that, if you've got to pay your $800 way home, there had to be some weeks where you were just barely breaking even, even leaving the house doing this. Well, yeah. I mean, you weren't doing much better. Right. And you know, that's, that's the truth. And, you know, here's the way it kind of shook out. This was the scheduling at that time. It was like 10 days on three days off, five days on three days off. And then it would start over again and it would go as much as that 10 days could shoot up to 17, 17 days on three days off. The five days usually stayed the same, but you know, you know, we kind of did the math and it was like, you were gone gone now 24 days a month right then you had a travel day home then you had a free day and then you had to start getting ready to go back on the road that third day um and you'd take off again and it was just i mean it was skipping here and there and you name it you know there was no rhyme or reason to the scheduling or or the routing it was just insane that's unbelievable so, so let's talk about it. You put your notice in, uh, he, he tries to rescind it, talks you into staying for another TV. You feel like at that point when you, when you're officially out, um, he pulls you back in and, and, and promises to fix it at the next TV. So we've had three meetings now, and now maybe because there's been, uh, some underground railroad action going amongst the boys and everybody's, uh, doing the whisper campaign. He feels like he needs to set an example. Maybe that example becomes you guys and you're on your way out. When does the whole, Hey, we need you guys to take a drug test thing become an issue, at least on the Tully side of the equation. Well, those happen periodically all the time. You know, drug tests could be anytime, just random. Um, first thing that happened, they wanted to get the belts off of us. So we dropped them back to demolition. So made sure those were done very businesslike. Um, 
which I enjoyed working with those guys. No problem there. A lot of respect for both of them. Um, we got that done and we got a few weeks into this thing. And, um, here was the one that really let you know they can do what they want to do. The actual drug test that Tully, they claim failed was like two drug tests ago. It wasn't the last one that he had taken. Does that make sense? Right. So they went back and said, okay, well, if he had failed that one, why did they continue to let him work up until the point that he took this other supposed drug test that he failed? You know, that that was a little honky there, wonky, whatever you want to call it. A little strange. So they said, okay, they were just going to, I think he had like, hmm, of the three months, about half that time was left. Still, so they sent Tully home, they put Haku in his place, and we continued to work the bookings, which was with demolition mostly, but some other, you know, a few guys scattered here and there for those last few weeks. So Tully just went home early and said, okay, I'm fine with that. It's fascinating to me the way this, this all sort of comes together and comes to a head at the same time. I know we're getting way in the weeds, but obviously the drug testing, you know, situation has changed, not just in WWE, but in all sports and, and, and not even sports, just employment. Uh, the methods are, are way different now. What was drug testing like back in 1989 in the WWF? Uh, what do you mean? Just as far as the mechanics of it? I mean, like, you know, you don't. It is, it is quote unquote random. Nobody gets a heads up. You show up to TV or sometimes maybe it's not a TV and a random guy in a lab coat approaches you and says, Hey, need you to go fill this up a little plastic cup. And then he follows you in the bathroom. Is it that simple? Yeah. You walk in, it was usually on live events and it was usually the, you know, like, uh, it was the first day back from being off because they knew some guys would go home and party. Um, then they got sneaky and it was like the first day back, you know, or the last day, you know, like the last day of a loop. They would just, you'd walk in and there'd be a list on the wall and in the production office or wherever it was, like at a live event, there'd be a list of names and there would be guys, like you said, in the, in the coats standing there with a plastic cup, they would follow you in the bathroom and have to watch you pee. And there's no way to cheat it that I saw. I didn't, I mean, I didn't have that many up there. Um, no reason for it. Obviously <laughs> I definitely was not on the gas. You can just look at me and tell, That's funny. but, uh, but you know, no reason to, you know, to be testing me very often, but anyway, um, that was big news as you could imagine. Well, let's talk about how that complicates things, but first let's double back and talk about demolition for a minute. You said that. You know, you knew, you knew you needed to drop the belts, the demolition and handle that very business-like. You've also told us when you first come into the company, your old friend, Barry Darso, who you'd worked with at Jim Crockett promotions, he had to pull you aside and sort of give you the lay of the land with the, the style matches that you guys were working up there. And sometimes you had to be a little selfish and things like that. He's probably had a different experience with the WWF because he was the one calling, telling you, man, we're making so much money up here. 
And then that's not exactly your experience. How often were you comparing notes with Barry about, and I know that's sort of taboo and, and, and it's not advisable for guys to sort of trade notes like that, but were you getting some feedback? Like, Hey man, I got such and such for that show or, Hey, what's yours look like this week? Or, or when did you have an understanding that, Hey, for whatever reason, Vince does not see us at the demolition level. Well, prior to us quitting and, you know, like the, the previous conversation we had, it was like, got to remember business was hot. You know, Crockett was hot. WWF was hot that previous year. I mean, he just, you know, and you're right. Most guys don't talk figures. I don't, you know, like to ask anybody what they're making. It's none of my business. But he volunteered and he went, Arn, you need to get up here. My God, I made 300 grand last year. Well, in those days at that, that year, I was pretty strong. Absolutely. Certainly more than we were making for Crockett. Um, so that was one of those things that, that shook me. And when we got there, business was still hot, but that money had dropped off and that's what no one could figure out why the money was down. Did you, how many of the guys were sort of freestyling? Oh, it's gotta be because of this fucking movie. Oh, the movie I'm referencing is no holds barred. Of course, Vince McMahon decided to throw his hat in the movie ring. And we know he would continue that passion for a long time, but that was really his first foray Hulk Hogan as the box office attraction. And a lot of guys, whether it's accurate or not have theorized over the years that it was a distraction and took Vince's eye off the ball and perhaps the money dipped as a result, maybe to fund the movie, maybe because he just wasn't as focused on all the other ancillary streams of income. Well, you know, this was, again, this was rumor and innuendo. Don't hold me to this. This is the, the locker room buzz. Sure. There was a referee at dusty wolf. I think he's one of the underneath guys too that they hired to drive Zeus right. to all the live events. We heard that he was getting the grand a day as Zeus. Now he had a driver, he had a Cadillac paid for by the office, had his room paid for to all these live events. And we all felt like that was one of the reasons part of our money was down was that expense, you know, coming off the top. That's before, you know, he got his big payoff for the big show or whatever it was, you know, maybe, but that was just one of the places they were kind of bleeding that it was, it wasn't huge, you know, but it was a reason, right. you know, guys will look for, for anything when their money's down and you see that the houses are pretty full, you know, there's gotta be a reason. It's gotta be going somewhere. They gotta be paying for something. Um, and that was, that was one of them. Plus, you know, it was rotten. It was a rotten segment on the show. Uh, it just, uh, I mean, it was an experiment that, that he was trying and, and we were just kind of stuck with it. It was, it was sometimes for guys a little difficult to go out and fought, you know, it's easier to follow a great match than a stinker. And he would go out and do a promo and beat his chest and all that. And it was, you know, by our standards of, for a promo, it was not great. Let me just put it to you that way. Well, let's talk about, you know, we've talked about your relationship with, um, with demolition specifically Darso, but there's, uh, there's a new sheriff in town 
Jim Crockett promotions is no more. Now it's been purchased by Ted Turner. He's rebranded it. World championship wrestling dusty Rhodes, instead of being sort of the top, uh, booker, the guy you gave notice to now he's actually working with you in the WWF and instead a new guy is, uh, riding roughshod named Jim Hurd, and his tenure, I think started in January of 89. What were you hearing through the grapevine about the opportunities or what was different? You know, you were probably still talking to Ric Flair, I would guess. Were you in touch with anybody else that was still in Atlanta? Well, let me, let me just say this and then let me back up for a minute because the cleverness and cunning uh, of Vince McMahon is unprecedented, unchallenged. And I'll get to that in just a second. He's in a league by himself. Uh, let's just say that we had a couple of options. We could either go to Japan, we could go back to WCW, which Rick had brokered the deal with Jim Hurd to bring us back for three years, 250 grand a year, which was quite a bit more than we were making with WWF. Okay. When Tully went home and Haku stepped into that spot, we were working with Demolition those weeks on the go home in a pretty good spot. I think we're probably next to last or something. Here's where the cleverness comes in. All of a sudden, now Tully's gone. I got like six weeks left. I'm on my way out. My money almost doubled. I went to Barry. I went, man, these payoffs are great. Good God, what the hell happened? He said, mine's not great. So then we started comparing notes. He was paying me twice as much as Haku, twice as much as Demolition. And for the next six weeks, it was like I was brought in to work with Hulk Hogan. When the math all shook out at the end of the end of the fiscal year, I actually had made more money than I made with Jim Crockett. Wow. That was his way of showing me, I told you, stick with me. I would make it right. I can make this right anytime I want. And that's the message that it sent, and it was loud and clear. It didn't make me feel like I'd made the wrong decision. It just pissed me off with, well, then why didn't you? Right. You know, if you could do this any time, if you would have done this three months ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation and you'd have a couple of lifers. But that was just how cunning and devious that the guy was. And, you know, for those last six weeks, it picked me right up and uh, put me over the top. So that being said, anyway, that was the deal that Rick brokered for Tully and I for the three-year deal. So he works you out a three-year deal and then, well, something changes because, you know, this drug test is going to uh, pop up for Tully Blanchard. And I'm curious, how does the word even get out? I mean, is this, you know, telephone, tell a friend, tell a wrestler. How did Turner know about a potential uh, drug concern with Tully Blanchard in the WWF. I'm sure it was in, uh, the sheets. Ah, there you go. 
when he went home, that was big news. When Tully, you know, that made the rounds. Now, there was no social media and cell phones and all that, but, I mean, the sheets got the word out there pretty quickly. Well, you know, Tully's like everybody else, like like myself and, you know, whatever. The fact that he failed a drug test and got sent home early had nothing to do with what he was going to be doing going forward. But somebody, because Jim Hurd would not have came up with this on his own, so now I finish my notice, get ready to go in for my meeting with Jim Hurd to sign my new contract. Well, there's been a problem. Uh, they're not going to hire Tully. They think that it will be a uh, black eye hiring a, a, a drug user, <laughs> like he's the only guy that ever used drugs, for God's sakes, in this business. We can't hire him. It'll just look bad for the company. And, Arn, I'm sorry, but you're not as valuable as a single as you guys were as a team. Now, Jim Hurd would have never came up with that. He's not smart enough to come up with something like that. So this is this is Jim Hurd saying this to you? Yes. me. I walked in, sat in his office. No warning, no forewarning about it. No nothing. We've decided not to hire Tully because we're still thinking we can get this resolved, you know? We're still thinking, okay, we'll be able to sort this out. Let me get in front of the guy, da 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 He already had his pitch. He was going to stick by it. He said, so we're going to cut your money. Instead of it being 350 times three, it's going to be 156, 200, 250. So it cost me 150 grand that day. Wow. Yeah. At my house. That's a whole bunch of money at anybody's house, man. I mean, you're talking about three grand a week. there, just gone just like that. Yep. And he says, he sees the look on my face and he goes, now I could tell you're not happy with this and I don't blame you. You know, you can always go back to the WWF. Well, no, Jim, I can't just go back to the WWF. I turned in my notice. I worked the notice. I left. You can't just go and ask the guy. Yeah, I could ask the guy for my job back, and he'd probably bring me in. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the crucifixion that followed would be epic. And probably for less money. Probably for half of what I was getting then. Right. You know, it's one of those things. That, okay, well, I, I've got to take it. I've, you know, I, what, what are you going to do? It's still three years of money that's decent. The other would have been great. It's decent. It's three years. Maybe maybe I can get something done going forward. Who knows? But, man, you talk about taking a damper off of a really, really good high that I was on, natural high, because all they were doing was television at the time. Let's, let's take a time out here and, and say, too, it's a different wrestling world than what we know about today. I mean, these days, if you know, a guy put in his notice with Vince and then he went and sat with Tony Khan and Tony, you know, had to give him a lower offer for whatever reason, the talent could say, well, you know what? I'm just going to go work in Japan and I'm going to work some Indies and, you know, I'll pop up with the NWA or impact or MLW here or there. But the indie scene was not nearly what it is now back in 1989. Two options, really WWF. The new guys in town, WCW. Yeah. 
it's uh it's a different era for sure so you know is tully in that meeting when you're sitting with jim or is it just it's just you and him no 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 he wasn't um all of his meetings with herd were separate um and then i tell you you know what it did was when i left that office not only was i furious and wanted to throw herd off of the cnn tower then it pissed me off at Tully. You know, each guy in this business has to do what he thinks is right on a daily basis. If you want to get up and go to the gym, that's your decision. If you don't go to the gym, that's your decision. But whatever the, the ramifications are of those decisions that you make, like partying one night, you know, if when they start affecting someone other than you, then it becomes an issue. That's why teams are... It's great because when you're hurt, you can lean on your partner, and when you're sick, you can lean on your partner, and you, you're tired of driving, your partner can help you drive. All those things are great, but when your partner's screwing up a lot of times and they get fired, it really messes with what the office had planned for you guys as a team. Now I'm starting to blame Tully for this. Um you know, and I'm getting hot and, and it's like I call him and he said, well, they put off any meetings and they're just saying they're not interested. And it just went real south real quick. So, you know, just man to man, how frustrated are you or upset or angry or hot, whatever descriptor you want to use? Are you with Tully that Perhaps him having a night of partying has now cost you six figures. Very hot. He didn't cut my money. It wasn't his fault. He did screw up and technically, you know, and we had a, a issue with that for years. You know, I don't know if I was justified in, in my thought process or, you know, just, just how brutal it was in my mind of what happened. I mean, it, you know, the guy did what he did. He made his own decision. I think heard overreacted and ended up screwing us because he could. I don't know who the little bird was in his ear. Somebody was, cause I, I just don't see him coming up with that explanation. But if they needed to save 150 grand that much with all the guys that they were signing and would show up for one or two TVs, and then you wouldn't see them for the term of their contract, you know, two years. Some guys were getting three grand a week just to sit home. You know, if they had to screw me that badly to get that 156 grand, what else is there at the end of the rainbow, you know? Uh, then I started second-guessing, you know, did I make the right decision? A lot of stuff going through your mind when you lose that kind of money. Sure. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, your, your old pal, Rick Flair was known to have a little bit of power backstage. Do you consult with him and say, Hey buddy, can you help me figure out a game plan to get some of my money back? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's the first one I saw. What's he going to do? Right. There's nothing he could do. There was stuff he was threatening to do. It never came to fruition. Uh, you know, and that's just a, that's a private matter, but it just, you know, it was like he brokered the deal. The guy dumped on the deal. 
So now it's, you know, I left Jim Crockett Promotions because I got screwed on the money. I left WWF because I was getting screwed on the money. And lo and behold, I get to my new employer, walking in, beaming, and I get screwed on my money again. Triple entente. Boy, what did Arn Anderson do to have God mad at him? Because that's all I could figure. God must hate me. So I don't know anything I've done wrong. And no, neither has anybody else came up with a reason for it. But sure happened. Bang, bang, bang. This has to be, you know, just talking about your psyche, just your internal between the years thinking, you know, I've, I've grown up in sales and, you know, we've often said the most valuable, you know, thing that a salesperson has is between their ears. You know, if you got stinking thinking, you're not going to be worth a shit. And you got into wrestling because you loved it as a kid, but this grind on the road and then being jerked around on your money and the stop and start, it's probably sucking the life out of you a little bit. As far as your passion for wrestling here, is it not? I mean, did you ever even consider, man, is this all there is? Should I look at another profession here? I spent about two days again, my go-to my wife talking about, you know, what it went down, what the reasoning was. She's hot now. She's mad too. You know, she's my biggest defender. She knows I haven't done anything to deserve any of this. And that's where I almost have to dial her back down over the years, you know, with contract issues I had from that point going forward and things that we'll talk about later on. Um, the money issue was still one of those things where with Turner at that time, they paid for your rent a car and, uh, they would pay for your room for some people. So mostly the rent a car. Um, and that was a biggie, you know, back in the day, even though all they were doing was television that helped, you know, you get a nice, you know, Cadillac or something to go to TV, wherever it was around Atlanta, hundred miles, 150 miles, whatever it was, 250. But you had a nice car ride and the office picked that up. So that helped, you know? So I start rationalizing. I went, okay, we're not on the road. It's three grand a week for one or two days a week. This first year will be three grand a week. You know, you got a couple of uh, shots around Atlanta and then I'll come home and, you know, my rental car's paid and all that. So you start to rationalize yourself just to get yourself in that, that mindset of, okay, I'm committed. I signed it. Now let's start over. And you have to have a healthy thought process with that, or it's exactly like you say, it will just turn you into a bitter, miserable, lousy employee. And that's one thing I didn't want to ever said about me that I had a bad attitude about my business because other than being a thief, you know, or being dangerous, that's probably third on the list. All oh, the guys got a bad attitude, which pretty much just tells anybody you're talking to that that's about everything you want to talk about or do. He's got a bad attitude. It's a blanket statement. So I had to clear my head and start over. What was, uh, what was Ollie saying during all this, your old tag partner, the other original member of the four horsemen, uh, we've talked about Rick, but talk to me about Ollie. Ollie's probably happy to see you back or I don't know. Was Ollie ever happy? What can you tell us about coming back and, and being with Ollie here? 
happy as he could be, I think. I think he chose to be working during that time, and they had called him. And, you know, after Tully, they figured out he wasn't coming. Ole would be the next guy because we had just planned on, you know, Rick and I and Tully picking up where we left off and, and going from there. If it was going to add a, a fourth guy, okay. But we figured the three of us would be fresh enough, new enough, still fresh in everyone's minds, the horseman thing. And we, we hadn't been treated badly, you know, as far as finish wise with the WWF. So we were still solid. We were still golden. Um, but when Tully, you know, we figured out he wasn't going to be part of the package, then Ole came back and he had a good attitude. So let's talk about the creative for you guys coming back. Uh, well, I guess just tell us. I mean, I know your first pay-per-view back was uh, Starcade 89, Future Shock, but I think you popped up and, and did something with uh, Dragon Master, like around Christmas. I, I, I don't know, though. It was sometime in December, right? Catch me up. When, when did you come back, actually, in front of a WCW crowd? Well, the first, we were surprised at center stage for TV. And... Rick had had this angle going with Gary Hart, Muda, Dragon Master, and Buzz Sawyer. It was just kind of Rick on his own. had been going on for a few weeks. And uh, I think a week or two out, he had teased it about he had a surprise. And then the week before, he teased it, he had a surprise. And he had a promo going on in the ring, and it looked like the bad guys had circled the wagons, and they were fixing to kick the crap out of Flair. Ole and I ran in, and uh, we had a big melee, and those guys powdered. And, uh, you know, without social media and the sheets and all that stuff, you know, exposing it, it was a nice surprise for those folks. And sure. I guess if you're sitting home, it was a nice surprise. The feedback we got was very good anyway. Those guys fed us nicely, and we had a nice little flurry, and the horsemen were back together, and life was good. So let's talk about, uh, Starcade 1989. It's December 13th from the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. There's about 6,000 fans there, a gate of around 70 grand. You know, the, you're, you're fresh off of, you know, your most recent pay-per-view being survivor series. And then before that SummerSlam, you know, you're working bigger audiences for the WWF. Now you're here and you know, your tag partner's not here and your money's down and the house isn't as big. This has got to be just weighing on you like, fuck, I have made another mistake here, right? Well, I wasn't so, I was a little concerned about the house being down, but I also had seen it before when I first got to Jim Crockett, houses were down then. And I mean, really down and, you know, with the proper leadership and, you know, still looking around the locker room and seeing there was a lot of talent in that locker room, we could rebuild it. You just needed some leadership. And, I, you know, I hadn't followed it and I hadn't watched the show while I was up there because the last thing I want to do when I come home, you know, is you're never off on Saturday anyway. But if I'm on the road at 6 o'clock, I'm heading to a show with the WWF. So I never got to see the show. Right. And I wasn't taping it and all that stuff. I just – I was more concerned with what I was doing than what the competitor was doing. So – you know, I didn't know, you know, if their angles were good, if their foundation was good, if it was anything was building, who was hot at the time, who wasn't. I just looked at that show and I looked at some of the matchups and the fact that you had Luger and Sting and 
you know, and some of those guys in the mix with the Road Warriors, that seemed a little bit interesting to me, you know, which you hadn't had that before. That was the main thing. Um, Muda, I knew, would hold his end up in that mix with Flair and those guys. So, I mean, there were some good elements on the show, and there were – I don't remember that much about the show because I was. We had one little bit on there. I think we were Flair's corner for one match or something. I had one little fight or something and fought out. I don't really remember, but we weren't featured on that show. Uh, I just remember there were some interesting matchups and things of that nature. Yeah, they're trying to do a uh, a tournament concept. Uh, we've recently covered this with Tony Schiavone on what happened when. So if you'd like to do a deep dive on this pay-per-view, then go check out Tony's show for certain. But there's a lot of talent here. You know, the Steiner brothers and uh, Doom and the Road Warriors and the Samoan SWAT team are in a, a tag team tournament. And then we've got four tippy-top guys with Ric Flair, Sting, Lex Luger, and the Great Muda in a singles tournament. So it is an interesting concept. Uh but it can be a chore to get through in 2019. Uh, let's talk about dusty roads for a minute, because I felt like you said something pretty important there when you said, well, you know, I'd been here before when I first came to Jim Crockett and houses were down, but we saw, you know, what leadership, what proper leadership did. Dusty Rhodes was the guy with the book back then. Now you're leaving him in the WWF and you're back here in WCW. Talk to me a little bit about what you thought of the, the committee or when you knew they were booking by committee, had you heard that ahead of time? Uh, who, in your opinion, really had quote unquote, the book? Well, I knew, I knew Rick had a lot of influence. Cornette, I think was on that committee. I knew he was a smart guy. You know, what other names, you know, it was heard headed up. Obviously heard was the boss. Rick Cornette, who else, who else was on the committee? I mean, uh, from what you, we hear, it's like Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette and maybe a Greg Gagne. And, and I mean, there's been lots of people by committee that just floated in and out, but the big ones that we would hear a lot were Ole Anderson, Jim Cornette, Rick Flair, Jim Hurd. Basically you had to be named Jim to get us to get a spot at the table. Well, let's just say it was, you know, Cornette and Rick. If you would have let them sit down and write the show and then do what was written, I would have been felt very good about it. But the fact that you got Jim Hurd at the forefront and making the final call on stuff, having, you know, being a pizza salesman does not put you in a position to be a genius in this business. Whoever said that they could transfer from that industry to our industry, you know, must have been on some heavy-duty drugs uh, because he didn't know anything about our business, and he would see the Steiners walk in, and he would see Luger and Sting, and they all looked like a trillion bucks, and there's my stars. Okay, well, great. If that's your stars, who do you want to angle them with? You know, what programs do you want to do with them? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he would shoot stuff down, you know, I would hear horror stories about, okay, they would be bringing up different talent. Oh, well, that guy looks terrible. Da, 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 da. He's not going to draw any money. Oh, that guy looks great, but he can't work. And then you would get Cornette and you would get Rick with the counterpoint. Well, yeah, he looks great, but, you know, you got to have somebody to, to work with him, to make him look great. You know, the guy's green. And all these stories are going back and forth. And 
the main thing was when you got leadership at the very top and they're coming up with ideas that they think is going to be brilliant but have no wrestling background, that's where you're going to fail. Yeah, we know that uh, the hard years were not always the best years, and we'll get into that another time. Um, I did a quick little uh, Google search here, and it looks like the uh, the 1990, very early 1990 booking committee, so right when you're there or coming back, it's Jim Ross, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, and Jim Cornette. Uh, it's been written that Flair, Cornette, and Sullivan were in charge of the matches, and JR and Funk were... Uh, charge of sort of the television production piece. So the committee is going to be something that's been tried several times throughout wrestling history. And lots of people have strong opinions about whether or not it needs to be one guy and whether or not that guy should be on TV or should it be by committee, your old school. What say you, do you prefer a single source or a committee? I'll tell you what say me here in that list of names knowing that Jim Hurd was such a screw-up that he could throw a wrench in the the attempted good works of those guys as brilliant as they were in the business. He was shitty enough that he could screw up all their good intentions. Now, that takes something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's talk Kept- about Kevin Sullivan, Terry Funk, Jim Ross, Ric Flair, and Jim Cornette. Yeah. And Jim Hurd was able to thwart all of that. Wow. That's a big turd and a smooth running machine without Jim Hurd there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I hear that you were so unhappy to this day. You won't eat pizza hut. No Brooklyn pizza. Let's a couple uh, of mi- couple of miles from the house. Yeah. There awesome. you go. Let's talk about, uh, this show. Uh, it, it's a little controversial for whatever reason, because, uh, Ric Flair would hand great Muda his first pinfall loss in WCW. There had been count outs or DQs or things like that, but Flair's the first guy to beat Muda and he does it. Uh, with a, uh, a cradle. So it's a clean pen and it takes all of one minute and 55 seconds. Wow. It's been written that maybe the way Muda was handled on this show, because that's not his only loss. Uh, he's going to go on to lose to Lex Luger and lose to sting. So he's over three here on the evening, two clean pinfalls and a DQ. But it's been written or speculated that this is why Muda wound up leaving WCW and Gary Hart sort of saw the writing on the wall. You've told us before that Muda had a reputation for maybe being a little lazy or a little selfish or whatever. Do you think they were, I mean, clearly they're trying to send him a message here. Who was down on Muda for him to go over three here? Well, hearing that for the first time, maybe I had it all wrong. I thought he was mad about having to put me over for the TV title shortly thereafter. Um, I know that that there was an issue there, but hey, he went out on that particular day and worked his ass off. And I had what we thought we had, what I thought was a very good match. Um, 
But knowing that he got beat three times in one night, I guess, and, you know, I doubt that it was even by design. It was just short-sightedness on whoever's putting the show together. You know, unless he had heat, let me just put it to you this way, not knowing, I can't make an ignorant comment like that, unless he had heat. Uh, if they were trying to wake him up, if they were trying to wake Gary Hart up, if they were trying to prove a point, I'm not sure, but it seems like a a terrible waste of a tremendous talent to have him get beat like that three times in one night. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Let's talk about the, uh, the main event here. We're down to uh, the finals and it's Ric Flair and Sting and they're going to go 15 minutes, 54 seconds, four and a quarter star match, according to the observer. And, uh, Flair goes for the figure four sting catches him with an inside cradle. He gets the pin. So sting actually wins the iron man tournament here at future shock. And the finish of this, uh, is interesting because this is what causes you and Olita come on down, join Rick and you effectively offer you personally offer sting a shot to be in the four horsemen. And this is the first time that we see sting, you know, in this limelight where yes, he just beat Ric Flair, but now immediately the horsemen are asking him to join. You got to think that wouldn't have been the creative had Tully come along and we know we're going to get the big payoff with the whole sting Flair title change. So maybe, you know, it was a, a happy circumstance for sting in that regard. What'd you think about the storyline to add sting to the horseman here? Well, you know, you're right. Uh, if Tully would have came back, the whole direction would have been different, but you're trying to, you know, you're trying to patch holes and you're trying to create, you know, some buzz, you know, I would like to think coming back was a big deal and they were going to, you know, even coming back as a single, I still thought that the horseman had value. I had value and that we were going to try to build something here. Just backing up and we're all Monday morning quarterbacks and just looking at a blank screen and picturing it in my mind right now. I would have probably had Sting win with his finish, not a small package. Now, in Arn Anderson's mind, sitting back there watching that, well, he just had Rick tap out to his hold, Scorpion. By God, that is impressive. Well, I'd like to have that guy as a horseman. It would have made that win a little more impactful than just a small package. But that's Monday morning quarterback stuff. Um, wouldn't have been my decision at any point, but just throwing that out there. And would have made that a little bit bigger. You know, when, you, when you're writing shows and you're building top talent, little pieces along the way are very important that it's building and escalating to a crescendo. And, you know, that would have been a good launching pad. I, I know it was different. And right out of the get-go, proposing that to Sting probably had some people no, 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 but a few people or maybe more than a few going, hmm, I never thought about that. That's that's interesting. And if you get that kind of reaction and get people interested, you get people watching. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning. You guys are going to pay this off tremendously in the future. We're going to talk about it another time, but you see the whole concept of this winning the tournament 
really becomes, Hey, well, now that he's won the tournament, he's in line for a title shot. But of course these dastardly horsemen who are getting cheers by the way, because they haven't seen this group back together again. And well, it's just hard to hate them for long. It becomes a situation where it's like, well, we asked you to join because you're good, but you don't want to try to take the belt off our leader of the group, Ric Flair. So let's just let that title shot pretend like that never happened. I mean, that's not as important as being a horseman. And of course, when he doesn't relinquish the shot, we're off to the races and, and the next year is sort of set, but I can't help, but wonder just in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, what if, because you got to assume the original plans would have been the Samoan SWAT team would not have been in this tournament and it would have been Arn and Tully. Maybe I'm off base on that, but it feels like if you had the Steiners, Doom, the Road Warriors, and Arn and Tully, I don't know that anybody could argue that wasn't the best group of tag teams in the world at the time. Yeah, no disrespect for the Samoan SWAT team. Those guys are incredible. I don't know how much good TV they had had prior to that, but certainly if Tully and myself were been together and we'd have came in and they'd have put a rocket on our butt by the time we got to this show, we would have had some momentum and that would have been a, an interesting looking package. Should we have prevailed at the end of the night? It's uh it's an interesting thing to go back and sort of fantasy buck. And that's what we appreciate about you jumping in and, and going down memory road, memory lane with us. And we hope that you guys have enjoyed doing that with us today. And we'll be back next week where you get to pick Arn's brain. If you've got a question for Arn about this show or anything in his entire career from his time behind the scenes with WWE to Jim Crockett promotions to the territory days to WCW, whatever, just go to Twitter right now at the Arn show and you'll see a tweet pinned to the top there. Just go ahead and uh, look for that and ask your question and use the hashtag ask anything and uh, stay tuned next week and every week. And we'll ask your question here on the show next week. We've got lots of fun stuff planned. Uh, coming your way in the new year. Let's give them a quick rundown. Cause we do have some stuff that I think maybe folks wouldn't imagine that we're going to cover one of which is going to be all about the television title. That's going to be on January 7th. And we're going to chronicle all of our television title wins his notable feuds and losses and matches. And it's interesting that we just discovered this together here on the show. A few weeks ago, all four TV title wins were in the first week of January. So it's fitting that we're doing this at the end of the first week of January. Tune in with us on uh, January 7th on the 21st, two weeks later, we'll revisit Royal rumble 2015. That'll be the five-year anniversary of that show. And if you forgot what happened in that one, well, it's going to jog your memory. Roman reigns wins. The rock comes in to celebrate and Philadelphia ain't having it. They want a Daniel Bryan. And we'll talk about that on February 4th. We'll revisit super brawl two from 1992. One of my favorite shows as a kid. And then on February 17th, Elimination Chamber 2018. How's that for current? Lots of interesting stuff coming your way here on Arn. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend, and don't forget, pick up a shirt right now at arnshirts.com. And man, I got to tell you, I uh a little birdie told me that one of our shirts is perhaps, and I believe this is going to happen, going to be in a uh, a CBS television show in the month of March. How cool is that? Way cool. Really cool. We knew it was a hot shirt, but you know, to have it recognized by, you know, the Hollywood folks on a, on a show that's really hot itself. That's uh makes me feel good. 
And don't forget, uh, we're still continuing to, uh, to call out Daniel Tosh for the, uh, bird face punk that he is Arn point. Oh, is available right now. Seeing if your balls are as big as your mouth since 1982, uh, one way or another, Daniel Tosh is going to catch a spine buster one of these days. Or he might catch a beatdown, not horseman style, but Marty Lundy style motherfucker. Check out that new shirt. It's an exploding disco ball. Good stuff. And maybe my favorite shirt we've ever done. It's unfuckwithable, but in a way where it looks a little more acceptable to wear that word in public. Go check it out right now. Arnshirts.com. I can't believe this was one of our most requested shirts either. Arn. I don't know if you've seen this one, but it's a black shirt with brown letters, which really makes a lot of sense. Shit and get it. Go out and tear it up. A little Arnism that caught fire on social media. If you'd like to see these shirts, pick them up right now at orangeshirts.com. And don't forget to tell a friend, hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review and stay tuned right here on Westwood one this Tuesday and every Tuesday for Arn. Merry Christmas. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.